0: The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. Welcome to the No Restraint Podcast by Joyce. Let me tell you something. I don't even know where to begin. There's so many things to talk about. First and foremost, thank goodness that the U.S. Senate on March 1st unanimously passed a bill requiring the Biden administration to declassify intelligence related to the origins of COVID-19. Well, hooray, that's long overdue. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio made a request for unanimous consent of the bill. He's a Democrat, and it was granted without objection. Unanimous consent allows a bill to pass without a recorded vote if no senator objects. The bill, which is known as COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023, specifically aims to investigate the possibility that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, that which caused COVID-19, actually leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Can you believe that we're still talking about this in the did it really happen instead of, oh yeah, it really happened. What are we going to do about it? Senators Mike Braun, the Republican from Indiana, and Josh Hawley, my new favorite, uh, the Republican from Missouri, reintroduced the bill on Monday after the Department of Energy provided a classified intelligence report to the White House and certain members of Congress, which concluded that the COVID-19 pandemic most likely arose from a lab leak. The FBI had previously come to a similar conclusion. So why on earth were we not told this? Why have we been kept in the dark? Kept in the dark, we were locked down, shut out. Everything that we knew as normal disappeared right before our very eyes. And it was literally a leak. People were asking, was it a leak? And we were being told, shut up get your tinfoil hat out. Unbelievable. So the Senate unanimously passed a bill to declassify all the intelligence the government had on COVID origins. Let the people see the truth. I don't believe that. We have a government that's so enamored of its own power that it won't even respond to the needs or the wants or the cares of the people it serves. In further comments during an appearance on, I think it was Jesse Waters' primetime, Josh Hawley cited the importance of transparency and accountability and letting the public to understand that the origins of the pandemic, we know what they are and we're going to do something about it. The bill needs to pass in the House of Representatives and then we can get this thing done. The Senate passed a similar bill unanimously in 2021, but the Democrats controlled the House then, and the Republicans now have a majority in the lower chamber. So it should be a piece of cake. The bill would require Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines to declassify the information in the U.S. government's possession on the most likely origins of COVID-19. Look, the American people, well, it's way past time. Show us what the government has. Let everybody see it for ourselves. Let everybody read it. Also, after the unanimous passage of the motion, it's time for the House to move and take care of this. The House needs to pass this bill to let the American people see the facts. President Biden can't ignore the time of this time to let Americans decide for ourselves. On Monday, Josh Hawley expressed concern about the lack of transparency surrounding the origins of the pandemic, stating that for nearly three years, anybody who questioned the Wuhan lab leak theory, you know, people like you and me, we were silenced. We were branded as conspiracy theorists, as nuts, when in fact, we were just right. The Department of Energy's report supports the often maligned hypotheses that the virus emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is located nearby to a wet market broadly cited as the pandemic's ground zero. It was never from the wet market. The Biden administration must immediately declassify all intelligence reports pertaining to the origins of COVID-19 and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The American people, we deserve to know the truth. I criticize the Biden administration because all it's done is posture whenever we talk about the lab leak theory. The Biden administration has called the lab leak theory a conspiracy theory from the beginning and has only started to publicly admit they were wrong as the evidence becomes overwhelming. The Biden administration kept the information about the origins of COVID-19 a secret despite an earlier version of this bill that passed the Senate unanimously in 2021. The American people deserve transparency. Free from government censors or media spin, it's time to declassify everything they know about COVID's origins and about the Wuhan Institute of Virology right now. I hope they hear us. I hope you're clamoring for the same thing because when Christopher Ray confirmed that the bureau had assessed the COVID-19 pandemic likely resulted from a lab incident in Wuhan, China, the FBI has for some time now assessed that the origin was most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. That's the FBI director Christopher Ray talking. Here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And no, no doubt it killed millions of other people as well. China's ruling communist regime has been interfering with U.S. and international efforts to probe the origins of the pandemic. The Chinese government, it seems, has been doing its best to try and thwart and obfuscate the work, the work that they're doing in the House and in the Senate, the work that the U.S. government and the close foreign partners are doing. And that's what Christopher Ray thinks. And he's no uh, conspiracy theorist on the right, that's for sure. According to a report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the intelligence community is divided on the most likely origin of COVID-19, but they all agree on two of the most plausible scenarios. One, natural exposure to an infected animal, or two, a laboratory-associated incident. Four of the IC elements, the intelligence community elements, and the National Intelligence Council assess with low confidence that the initial SARS-CoV-2 infection was most likely caused by natural exposure to an animal infected with it or a close progenitor virus, and that's what the report states. One IC element assesses with moderate confidence that the first human infection most likely resulted from a laboratory-associated incident. Meanwhile, analysts at three IC elements want further information before they'll make their assessments with some leaning towards a natural origin, others a laboratory origin, and some open to both theories. The Chinese regime has long dismissed the possibility of a lab leak, saying the virus's origins should not be politicized. Its efforts to suppress the theory included warning Elon Musk recently, the billionaire owner of Twitter and Tesla and SpaceX, not to share the lab leak report. Well, guess what? I don't think he's that easily controlled. Let's certainly hope not. There was a great piece on Zero Hedge by Tyler Durden that I really have to share with you. It's called The Five Stages of Totalitarianism. Look, we're noticeably more concerned about this growing totalitarian tendency in the United States, and it's just gotten worse during the COVID pandemic from 2020 to 2022. But how close are we really to a totalitarian state? How have such regimes come about historically and what are the warning signs? Well, let's try and answer those questions, says Tyler Durden, by examining totalitarian regimes in the 18th and 20th centuries and the pattern by which they came to power. First, every new order rises on the ruins of the old. Those who would establish a new regime have to tap into or generate dissatisfaction with the status quo. However much those desiring a reset may despise the old order, they cannot accomplish much without harnessing or fabricating a similar attitude in the public. Then the revolutionary totalitarian appears as the solution to these problems. The reign of terror in revolutionary France, for example, didn't begin with blood, but with bread. Between 1715 and 1800, the population of Europe doubled, creating food shortages among the French people. Many of the French people resented the king's growing centralized authority. Is any of this starting to sound familiar, to? In addition, the ideas of the Enlightenment thinkers were stirring up revolutionary feeling, and finally, the French government was massively in debt due to the wars of the 18th century, and it increased taxation even on nobles. Is it starting to sound familiar yet? It was these sufferings and fears combined with the machinations of the secret societies That was admitted by the Marquis de Rosambeau at the Chamber of Deputies Session of July 1st, 1904, that led to the revolution and the totalitarian Jacobin government. The reign of terror came after the fall of the king and the ancient regime, which the revolutionaries accomplished in part because of the problems and suffering in French society pre-revolution. The Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917, which established a totalitarian regime so bloody that it would make the reign of terror look like a mere red drop in the guillotine bucket, followed a very similar blueprint. The Bolshevik communists exploited the sufferings of the Russian people for revolutionary purposes. What were these sufferings? The Russian people had lost faith in Tsar Nicholas II and his government. Russia contained restless ethnic minorities, and the poorly equipped and led Russian armies were losing against the Germans in World War I. Russia's failures in the war led to demoralization, and allies began surrendering large pieces of territory, possessing no military worth speaking of and being monitored by allied troops. In the years following the war and the treaty, the German economy suffered mightily, including through hyperinflation. When Germany defaulted on some of its payments, French and Belgian troops occupied Russia. Mm, Any of this starting to sound somewhat familiar to you? Well, let me go on. In stage two, the false savior and the first revolution is what you should be thinking about. After identifying and appealing to the people's discontent, the totalitarian presents himself as a savior. In stage two, the revolutionary totalitarian enacts a dramatic change to solve the problems and discontent of stage one. To find a solution for the debt crisis, the French government called the Estates General Assembly to advise the king on what to do. The third estate quickly claimed full governmental authority as the National Assembly. The National Assembly wanted to draw up a new constitution that would change the nature of the government to deal with injustices. After the storming of the Bastille, peasants in rural areas revolted against their lords. The National Assembly declared feudalism abolished and introduced the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen. With the execution of Louis Seventeenth, on January 21st of 1793, the first stage of the revolution was over. The regicide left a massive power vacuum. Various groups were struggling to fill the hole, but in the end, the Jacobins, the radicals, dominated the new revolutionary government. In the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks took advantage of the food riots that began early in 1917. When the military began siding with the rioting workers, rather than restoring law and order, Tsar Nicholas knew all was lost. He abdicated on March 2 of 1917 and was later shot. The Bolshevik-run Petrograd Soviet quickly took control of post-Tsarist Russia. Their slogan, peace, land, and bread, attracted a whole lot of frightened and angry people to them as a savior. On November 6th, They staged a coup that finally overturned the provisional government. The initial rise of Nazism in Germany was less bloody, but similarly based on messianic promises. Capitalizing on the resentment in Germany due to the Versailles Treaty and global economic downturn in 1929, the Nazi Party grew in size and influence. The Nazis had attempted a violent coup in November 1923, but had failed and they turned to legal means of gaining control of the government. Due to Hitler's skill with propaganda, the Nazi party won more and more of the vote by the early 1930s. Eventually, it was the second biggest political party in the country. At this point, Hitler was demanded that President Paul von Hindenburg appoint him chancellor, which Hindenburg agreed to in 1933. This was not a violent revolution, but the failed 1923 attempts show the party's violent tendencies. In stage three, you see censorship, persecution, propaganda, and the ending of opposition. In stage three, the initial upheaval of stage two has passed. The old order has been fundamentally changed, and now various forces begin to react. The rising totalitarian government faces a lot of enemies, often dubbed counter-revolutionaries, or extremists. Here in its infancy, the new order must struggle to gain more power and maintain that which has been acquired. For this reason, it sets about combating its enemies through censorship and persecution. Okay, is anybody starting to find some familiarities here? Hitler and Lenin outlawed either de jure or de facto all political parties and views besides their own, after coming to power. Totalitarians create a one-party system that often maintains a facade of democracy. In stage four, the crisis. Stage four prepares the way for the totalitarian government to grasp total control over those under its rule. It consists of a crisis moment, which may be either a real threat or a false flag that seems to threaten the nation. By 1793, the French Revolution was at a crisis point. Defenders of the old order rose up on all sides to crush the new order. Austrian and Prussian armies encircled France, while the Vendian peasants revolted against the revolutionary government and the army. And so, in the name of public safety, the government decided to take harsh measures against all enemies of the revolution. And so, of course, they needed more control. This was the task of the Committee of Public Safety, and it suffered from no scruple in its methods. On August 3rd of 1918, Lenin was shot after giving a speech at a factory. While recovering in the hospital, he wrote to a subordinate, it is necessary secretly and urgently to prepare the terror. This initiated a campaign of mass killings and detentions by the government known to history as the Red Terror. As always, the justification for these acts was the emergency indicated by the attempted assassination. The radicals and counter-revolutionaries were allegedly at the gate, and it was necessary to use extreme measures to deal with this imminent threat. So the rhetoric went, and so it always goes. Hitler also used the state of emergency to justify his clampdown, on February 27, 1933, the Reichstag went up in flames. In response, Hermann Goren, who was Minister of the Interior, ordered a raid on communist headquarters, allegedly for evidence of sedition and a communist plot to attack public buildings. This, in Hitler's mind, was the signal for seizing complete control. On February 28th, the cabinet abolished freedom of speech, assembly, privacy and the press, and around 4,000 people were arrested that night. This crisis, with the usual language about safety and countering threats, ushered in totalitarianism in Germany. In stage five come the purges, the genocide, and total control. Using the crisis of stage four as an excuse, the totalitarian government now seizes absolute control over the lives of its citizens. The regime overcomes the enemies of stages three and four. It begins brutally enforcing its utopia and ideology on the populace. This stage also sees the greatest atrocities committed against the populace because resistance to the totalitarian regime has been crushed. The people are defenseless and demoralized. Nothing stands between the regime and its victims. This stage involves mass killings as the regime liquidates any remaining enemies while seeking to control every detail of citizens' lives. During the latter stages of the French Revolution, the Committee of Public Safety received dictatorial powers to defeat anyone who opposed the revolutionary government. During 19 or during 1793 to 94, the Committee of Public Safety eliminated rival revolutionary groups before passing a law that suspended citizens' rights to a public trial or legal assistance and gave the jury only two options, acquittal or death. The result was horrifying. Throughout and always, when you see these totalitarian governments coming into power, lots of people must die. A precursor to Stalin's purges of political enemies. Historians are divided on just how many people Stalin killed, but estimates reach as high as 60 million. Estimates of the people killed by Hitler and his Nazi party vary as well. According to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, the figure stands at 17 million, but only God knows for sure. In addition to carrying out mass killings, established totalitarian regimes seek to control everyday life through measures like censorship and propaganda, gun control, and internal passports. So let's look at the United States in 2022. Are we headed for totalitarianism? Here we move from facts to speculation. It's a risky business. The answer is not straightforward, but if we're careful to avoid exaggeration, some useful comparisons can be made. Have any forces in the U.S. taken advantage of real or imagined problems in the country to stir up discontent and even violence? Well, the death of George Floyd and the associated claims of systemic racism in 2020 gave rise to violent and destructive riots. Fortunately, this has calmed down, but like in pre-Soviet Russia, Ongoing tensions surrounding racial minorities continue to threaten more social unrest. This unrest could intensify if predictions of food shortages and increasing inflation come true in the coming months and years. Has any figure or group presented themselves as a savior with a solution to our problems, a solution that will require the curtailing of individual rights? Are freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, due process, or religious rights under attack? While the COVID pandemic was used by the governments around the world to justify vast restrictions on personal freedom, including limitations on the freedom of assembly, The closing of religious centers and censorship of information or viewpoints that opposed the official COVID narrative and dictates. Many of these public officials presented themselves as experts whose forceful policies were necessary for public safety. I meant to say, Anthony Fauci. Entities such as the World Economic Forum and a lot of global leaders continue to discuss the need for a great reset in part as a response to the threat of COVID. This reset includes everything from redesigning health systems and education to the implementation of vaccine passports. This is presented to us as our salvation from COVID and other dangers, including racism. What COVID and racism have to do with one another, I will never figure out. Are we experiencing any censorship in the U.S.? Are our media sources independent and objective, or are they coerced and controlled? Well, the recent Musk Twitter debacle has highlighted how big tech bears responsibility for censoring certain information and views with increasing regularity in recent years, and particularly conservative voices. Does the U.S. live under a one-party system? As far as we can tell, The answer to the question is no. However, if the claims of election fraud abounding since the 2020 elections are true and the fraud remains unremedied, we effectively live in a one-party system since one party can maintain power indefinitely through illegal means. But that is a substantial if. I don't know about the rest of you, But I think about these things an awful lot. I wonder all the time if we are headed towards a cliff and nobody, but nobody, will be able to stop this movement. And that's why I tell you all the time, you've got to be aware. You've got to read from different sources. You cannot trust all the news sources that tell you they're fair and balanced. And I am speaking directly about Fox. You know, I heard one of the Fox hosts tonight uh, bragging about what a great job Fox does. And all I kept thinking was, you know, there are three major cable news networks, CNN, MSLSD, and Fox. And if I turn from one station to the next on any given day, I may be looking at the exact same story and it may be spun in the exactly predictable way, uh, depending on which network I'm watching, which tells me that I'm not getting information, I'm getting viewpoints. And I don't know about the rest of you, when I want a viewpoint, I listen to talk radio. When I want some facts, I should be able to read a newspaper or read something online or watch a news broadcast, but I can't do that anymore. Everything is talk radio. And not that I have anything against talk radio, but at some point, how do people gather information? Your only sources these days may actually be talk radio, which we had never pretended to be the source of clear and undigested and regurgitated information. We always said, we're about opinions. We're about telling you our perspective on any given news story but I'm having more and more trouble as time goes by finding new sources. I have to comb the internet. I have to read through dozens and dozens of documents. I have to do what no person in their right mind wants to do. And certainly no person who's working a full-time job 40 or 50 or 70 hours a week wants to have to comb through all the documents that I end up combing through and only to find at the end that I'm being given information that is not fact-checked and that is very slanted in one particular direction or another. So it's a tough job, but I'm glad that I have it. And one thing I can tell you for sure, we saw for the first time during the COVID pandemic that you could tell even freedom-loving Americans, even gun-toting, Bible-carrying Americans to shut up, to go into their houses, to lock the doors and to wait until we're told we could come out. And then we were told we could only come out if we were essential. And the government would tell us who was essential. Mind you, Walmart and strip joints were essential. If you could buy a lottery ticket, that place was essential. But houses of worship, not essential. Uh, Places like schools where children go to learn, children who are the least affected by the COVID virus non-essential. And when I think of how we did that, like sheep, where were the guard dogs to watch as the brutal, and I do mean brutal wolves, were at our doors? If you think that just because you are well-armed, which I am, and just because you stored up a whole lot of ammunition, which I do, if my funds are cut off by the government, which they can do with a simple swipe, then all of my guns and ammunition will only last so long. If I'm not able to buy food, if I'm not able to leave my home, which they've already proven they can get me to do, then all is lost. So as I say all the time, freedom-loving Americans, you better get ready to fight. And if you're not ready to fight, don't call us names because we are. I'm not looking for a revolution that involves any bloodshed, but a revolution is coming. And I'm going to be part of that revolution. And I hope that you are too. And I've picked the leader for the revolution. Everybody knows I'm a Trump person, but I'll tell you this, if he doesn't lead, then someone else will rise, but there will be a revolution. Thank you for listening to this No Restraint podcast. I hope you have a great day and